Amen. Acts chapter 16. He came to Derb and then to Lystra, where a disciple named Timothy lived, whose mother was a Jewess and a believer, but whose father was a Greek. The brothers at Lystra and Iconium spoke well of him. Paul wanted to take him along on the journey, so he circumcised him because of the Jews who lived in that area, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. As they traveled from town to town, they delivered the decisions reached by the apostles and elders in Jerusalem for the people to obey. So the churches were strengthened in the faith and grew daily in numbers. Paul and his companions traveled throughout the region of Perigia and Galatia, having been kept by the Holy Spirit from preaching the word in the province of Asia. When they came to the border of Mysia, they tried to enter Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus would not allow them to. So they passed by Mysia and went down to Troas. During the night, Paul had a vision of a man of Macedonia standing and begging him. Come over to Macedonia and help us. After Paul had seen the vision, we got ready at once to leave for Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. From Troas, we put out to sea and sailed straight for Samothrace, and the next day on to Neapolis. From there, we traveled to Philippi, a Roman colony and the leading city of that district of Macedonia. And we stayed there several days. On the Sabbath, we went outside the city gate to the river, where we expected to find a place of prayer. We sat down and began to speak to the women who had gathered there. One of those listening was a woman named Lydia a dealer in purple cloth from the city of Thyatira, who was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. When she and the members of her household were baptized, she invited us to her home. If you consider me a believer in the Lord, she said, come and stay at my house. And she persuaded us. Once when we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit by which she predicted the future. She earned a great deal of money for her owners by fortune telling. This girl followed Paul and the rest of us shouting, These men are servants of the most high God who are telling you the way to be saved. She kept this up for many days. Finally, Paul became so troubled that he turned around and said to the spirit, in the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her. At that moment, the spirit left her.
the owners of the slave girl realized that their hope of making money was gone. They seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace to face the authorities. They brought them before the magistrates and said, These men are Jews. Now throwing our city into an uproar by advocating customs unlawful for us Romans to accept or practice. The crowd joined in the attack against Paul and Silas. And the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten. they had been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison, and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. Upon receiving such orders, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet in the stocks. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly, there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. At once, all the prison doors flew open, and everybody's chains came loose. The jailer woke up. And when he saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. But Paul shouted, Do not harm yourself. We are all here. The jailer called for lights rushed in and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. He then brought them out and asked, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? They replied, Believe in the Lord Jesus and you'll be saved. <laughs> you and your household. <laughs> then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all the others in his house. At that hour of the night, the jailer took them and washed their wounds. Then immediately, he and all his family were baptized. The jailer brought them into his house and set a meal before them. He was filled with joy because he had come to believe in God, he and his whole family. When it was daylight, the magistrates sent their officers to the jailer with the order... Release his men. The jailer told Paul... The magistrates have ordered that you and Silas be released. Now you can leave. Go 
in peace. But Paul said to the officers, they beat us publicly without a trial, even though we are Roman citizens, and threw us into prison. And now, do they want to get rid of us quietly? No! Let them come themselves and escort us out. The officers reported this to the magistrates, and when they heard that Paul and Silas were Roman citizens, they were alarmed. They came to appease them and escorted them from the prison, requesting them to leave the city. After Paul and Silas came out of the prison, they went to Lydia's house, where they met with the brothers and encouraged them. Then they left. So Paul and Silas are out. Missionary journey number two. Uh, remember, Paul had just parted ways with Barnabas. Um, and uh, he was in a kind of a, a heated disagreement the Bible says I say they parted in a huff and they were aggravated with each other and it was over John Mark the inclusion of John Mark into the second uh, missionary journey was not something that Paul was open to remember we said that John Mark had left them in the middle of journey number one and Paul was not willing to be gracious enough to give him a second chance just remember our God is a God of second chances and you know what? When we sow grace and we are gracious, we reap grace. So always be willing to give people a second chance. There are people that you can't allow back into your life or can't allow in positions to hurt you in, in certain ways. So don't be foolish. Be wise. But be gracious. Amen? Oh, you sound so gracious to me. Amen. Paul, you know, is a, is a person. He has flaws just like all of us. And you know, we see some of his flesh come out from time to time. Paul and Silas run into uh, the new team, Paul and Silas. They are on their way. Obviously, uh, John, Mark, and Barnabas go to do their own thing. But Paul and Silas run into a believer named Timothy in verse 1 at Derb and Lystra. And his mother is Jewish and his father is Greek. So you say, well, what's the significance of that? Paul, uh, being a Jew of Jews, very well versed in the Jewish culture, ministers to the Jews in the synagogue, but now the shift is that they're reaching the Gentiles. So now we have someone who's a hybrid here. He's half Jewish, half Gentile. He's Jewish and Greek. So he's the perfect match for this ministry because he understands the Jewish culture and customs, and he also understands the Greek. So he's going to have some level of credibility with both audiences. Uh, so they, they meet up with Timothy, and he's the cu culturally perfect fit for them to take uh, on the road with them. And so uh, verse 2 says something interesting. He has a solid reputation, and that's an interesting thing. He was well spoken of by the brethren who were in Lystra and Iconium. So he has a good reputation. Now, reputation is important. Someone say amen. amen. Have you ever met someone who just has a really horrible reputation? It's, it's with social media now, it's like you can hardly hide a bad reputation. 
used to be at, at businesses, at restaurants and stuff, you'd have to go eat there once and get food poisoning, and then you knew. Now with Yelp and all of these things, these sites, if you have a bad reputation, if you do bad business, if you're not a person of integrity, you know, that's going to get around really quick. Uh, so does a good reputation. It says he was well spoken of by the believers. So that's a useful thing uh, to be promoted in the kingdom of God. We have to be faithful where we're planted. Be faithful in the little things before we can be entrusted with more. Amen. If they ran into Timothy and he was this culturally perfect fit, yet he had a bad reputation. Maybe he was hot-headed. He had a temper. Maybe he was given to too much wine. Well, then they would have to say, well, we're not taking this guy on the road with us, right? So think about that. How we conduct ourselves, where we're planted right now, determines how God can promote us and God can bring us into deeper water, deeper ministry. If you're interested in that, if you just want to skirt by and see if you can make it into heaven by the skin of your teeth, you could try that too. But you know what? God wants to use us in greater ways. He wants to use us to do exploits in the kingdom of God, Phil. Amen? Amen. So we got to prove ourselves faithful where we're at. So if, you're, if where you're at, you think, well, this is nothing. This is easy. Be faithful there. Timothy was just doing his thing, being faithful in his little spot. Paul came by. He's like, this is the guy. We're going to take him with us. That, that's, a, that's going from behind the scenes to the front lines in a day. Wow. What allowed that to happen? He was well spoken of, had a good reputation. He was a faithful man. Now, in verse 3, Paul wants him. He wants to take him on the field. So he, I don't know what the pitch was here, but he's like, we're taking you. But, oh, there's a caveat here. We're going to circumcise you. Now, this, is, this was not a baby circumcision. This was not with the moil. This was a grown man being circumcised at a ripe old age here. And uh, there again, this is an interesting thing. Now, I find this interesting in several ways, <laughs> maybe more than several ways, but I find it interesting that they just came back from the Council of Jerusalem, and the Jews wanted to put all kinds of laws and customs and cultures, and you got to follow the Mosaic Law, and, and the apostles said, no, no, we're just going to do act, you know, these few things. But circumcision was not one of them. Yet here's Paul just coming fresh back from that, putting something on Timothy here. I'm going to take you with me, but I'm going to circumcise you. The first thing I have to say about that is, ouch, okay? The second thing is like, is that really necessary? And the answer uh, to, to the question, both of those questions is yes and no. No, it wasn't necessary for Timothy to be acceptable to God. It wasn't necessary for him to be saved. Like, oh, you got to do this or you're not saved. No, that's what the Judaizers were trying to introduce legalism into it. He didn't do it so he could be saved or more acceptable to God or, or just a, a higher level of Christian. No, he didn't do it for that. He did it so that it would make ministry easier for him. Because there were legalistic people that they were going to encounter that knew that this guy's father was a Greek. So it would just be easier to cut away the flesh and take away the issue so that ministry would be easier. Some of your faces, you look, you look horrified right now. But the truth is this, ministry takes sacrifice. And sometimes it takes sacrifice in areas, not to please God, but just to make ourselves more palatable to men because we're trying to win people to the Lord. If we go in with our rough edges and our cultural clashes and all these things, and we're not, you know, we're not palatable to them, it makes it more difficult to share the gospel. So I want you to see, Timothy was willing to endure uh, some sacrifice here. <laughs> and and it, it wasn't an easy sacrifice, but, you know, Paul, it doesn't, I don't see anywhere in here where Paul gave him a choice or 
there wasn't a plan B. I don't know. Anybody got it in their Bible? No. He said, I'm taking you with me, and you're getting snipped, and it was done. So, yes, it was, it was necessary to make ministry more easy and realize all ministry comes with sacrifice. You know, Paul said, I, I want to be all things to all men. That's what this was, that I might win some. It was a cultural thing. It wasn't a spiritual, theological thing. It was just something to make ministry easier. Verse 4 and 5, Paul and Silas and Timothy uh, go about teaching the decrees that the apostles decided upon. It says in 4 and 5, what are they talking about? The council of Jerusalem. These things that they decided upon with the Gentiles to come in, all they had to do was just a few things. They didn't have to become Jews. They didn't have to follow the law of Moses. So they went and they taught that doctrine that they received from the Lord. And the thing that is powerful about this is that, you know, there's fruit being produced right away. It says, now while they were passing through the cities, they were delivering the decrees which were decided upon by the apostles. That was those, those four things that they asked the Gentiles to do when they were in Jerusalem for them to observe. Verse 5, so the churches were being strengthened in the faith, and they were increasing in number daily. Do you see the, the byproduct of good, solid theology? Do you see the byproduct of hearing from the Holy Spirit? What does it produce? Growth, good things, fruit, amen. Legalism, you know what it produces? Confusion, d disillusionment. It drives more people away than it attracts, amen. You know, when Christians add all of their own little caveats to the gospel, well, yes, you need Jesus and you got to confess that you're a sinner, but you know, you got to dress a certain way and your hair has to be really short because, you know, you can't have long hair and be a Christian and, and you can't do this and you can't do that and you got to wear a tie on Sunday. Phil and I, right? Ties, right? Nobody made us, but there, there was this, you know, cultural thing that, you know, you had to do this and you had to do that. And, you know, none of that's biblical, and it sometimes drives away more people than it attracts. How many times I heard people say, well, I, I, don't, I, I can't come to church. I, I don't have a suit to wear. I don't know what to wear. I, I don't think I'll fit in. That's sad, isn't it? I know over the years there's people who haven't come to church because they didn't think they, you know, could fit in economically, socially. They didn't have the right clothes. Do we really want those things to stop people from hearing the gospel? No. So uh, there are some cultural things going on here, but the good solid doctrine is what produced fruit. So it's important not how we look and not how we sound and not how we cut our hair as much as that we hear from the Lord and preach the things that he's asking us to share with the, our individual culture so that it attracts people so they can hear the good news. Now, verse 6 and 7 show us that these missionary trips were not, you know, the idea of men, but they were, they were spirit-led in such a powerful way. It says, and they passed through Phrygian and Galatia, uh, so they're passing through all these cities, but they were forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. Did you hear that? So, you know, maybe Paul's like, let's go to Asia. And the Holy Spirit just checked them. No, don't go there. That's interesting, isn't it? You know, so, so many of us Christians are just footloose and fancy free. We just do whatever we want to do. Come on. All right. Now I'm, now I'm coming for you. You know, we don't pray about it. We don't get leadership involved in it. We get 10 yards into it when we're up to our neck in it. And then we realize, oh, this wasn't God's idea. This was my idea. Come on, have you ever been there? Say, say out your amen. 
these guys, these guys weren't just going like Johnny Appleseed everywhere, you know, throwing it out there. They were led by the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit said, go here, don't go there. Yeah, yeah, go to these two places, but don't you dare go there, not now. And so understand how important it is for us to be spirit-led, not led by our flesh, not led by our intellect, not led by, you know, our own ideas. It's just amazing what we allow to lead us sometimes. <laughs> but these guys, you know, were being led by the Spirit of God. Hearing the voice of God, hearing the Holy Spirit is essential to safe, effective, productive ministry. You can't have solid growth and fruit production without it. If you pray for me, pray that I hear the Holy Spirit. I don't take any of this lightly. Everything that I preach and teach, every uh, thing we do, whether it's a program or a Bible study, I want to know that this is, when I'm done preaching through Acts, I'm praying where we're supposed to go next. And I believe if, you know, we're at the right place at the right time, we're going to produce fruit. When, when we're preaching through these things, I spent a lot of time in the Old Testament preaching through the judges. It bore fruit. People got saved. Spent a lot of time preaching. Uh, we're in Matthew chapter 5, the Beatitudes, all of that stuff. It produces fruit. We baptized over 20 people the last two weeks ago. What is that? That's fruit. That's spirit-led. That's not, you know, oh, Pastor Rick had a good idea. God help us if I'm leading this place. Even I'm scared. So we've got to be spirit-led and pray that the spirit continues to lead the leadership here. You know, every time, we, uh, every time we get up to the pulpit here, whether it's me or Pastor Frank or Pastor Mike, who's ever here, they always have the word of the Lord, and that's the glory to goes to God on that. Amen. So uh, verses 9 through 13, they chronicle what is... Uh, known as the Macedonian vision, where Paul has a vision that instructs him to leave Troas and go to Macedonia. You might have seen the, the he's sleeping, and this kind of guy appears to him, and he asks for help. And, you know, it was kind of a quick vision there. I don't know about Paul, but if I woke up in the middle of the night and thought I saw something in some guy, that would have had to been a longer vision to convince me. That was too quick. I'd be like, come again? What? I was dreaming. No. So however he gets it, he gets it, but he knows it's a vision from the Lord. And it's interesting that, you know, he sees this man and he's calling out for, for help. And think about that. The world needs the gospel. And you and I have got it. The world needs Jesus. And you and I know him. And you know what, whether they're humble enough or spiritually in tune enough to cry out for help is one thing, but we've got to be available to go where the Holy Spirit sends us because people need help. How will they hear unless they have a preacher? And, and how are they going to have a preacher unless one is sent? Come on, you know the scripture. So this, this vision is from God, and, and it's given to Paul, and it's, you know, there's a shift in gears. Absolutely here, he knows this is from the Lord. Verse 12, they, they, they get right to it, man. They don't pray about it. They don't fast. He knows he heard from God. See, these guys are getting good at knowing the voice of God. And, you know, when you and I, there's a lot of voices tugging for us out there. But when you and I get in tune, come on, you know, somebody you know really well, you can tell their voice. They could be behind you. They could be far away. I, I could hear my wife's voice. I mean, even if it's, you know, long, take out the garbage. I can, I can hear it. So you know those voices, amen? And when you get good at hearing the Holy Spirit, when you're really in tune with Him, it, it leads to instant obedience, 
We don't have to go, oh, was that, you know, was that me? Or was that the chili dogs I ate last night? Or what, what was it? No, that was the Holy Ghost. And Paul was in tune here, amen? And he hears and he goes. And so they find themselves in Philippi in verse 12. And Philippi was a Roman colony in the Macedonian region. It was the premier city there. God sends them to the epicenter to make an impact. And, and I, want you to, I want you to see how God leads them strategically into these places. Uh, on ver- verse 13, they show up and on the Sabbath day, they are waiting down by the river, and they're kind of just waiting for God to direct their efforts here. Notice that. They didn't just go start doing something. They kind of went into a holding pattern, and I want you to notice that. They went down the river, and they were waiting for God to do something to direct them. When God doesn't tell us specifically to do something, sometimes we need to wait. Amen? In the desert, when the Jews were being led, if the pillar of fire or the cloud didn't move, they didn't move. When it moved, they moved, amen? So we need to let God lead us like that. If we don't have a clear directive from the Lord, then we should just wait on the Lord. So they went down by the river, and it's a Sabbath day, and they're waiting, and they run into some women who had assembled down at the river. So now, this turns into a, you know, a divine appointment for them. In verses 14 and 15, this missionary group makes a key connection with a, a woman named Lydia, and Lydia is described as a worshiper of God. She's an entrepreneur. She's a seller of purple. Okay, so that was like fine linen type. That was, a, you know, that color, that linen was, you know, obviously she was a moneymaker. She was an entrepreneur. Purple happens to be my favorite color. And um, somebody else, you too? God bless you. And, you know, she's this woman there, and she's a key woman, and it says she's a believer in God. So here they're waiting, and God makes the connection for them. She was pretty aggressive she, she was pretty aggressive with her gift of hospitality, too. I want you to see this here. It says, A woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple fabrics and a worshiper of God, was listening. So, you know, the, the, the team is down there. They're talking about God. They're obviously talking about, you know, the gospel or whatever. She's listening. And the Lord opens her heart to respond to the things spoken by Paul. And when she and her house and and she and her household were baptized. Listen, she urged us saying, "If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come into my house and stay." And she prevailed upon us. So that that phrase there, she prevailed upon us means she haunted them till they said they'd come over. She was aggressive with her gift of hospitality. Oh, I'm thankful. I'm grateful. I want to hear the message. I want to hear the gospel. She responds to it, come into my house. You know, so there again, this is a key moment. It's a key connection here. God hooks him up with the right person at the right place at the right time. She responds to the gospel message that's preached, and her and her entire household are baptized. So that's fruit right there. They go from not knowing what to do, kind of hanging out in a van down by the river, and you know, and then all of a sudden they meet this lady. Some of you got that. And she she hooks them up, and the next thing you know, people are getting saved, people are getting baptized. Now they got their foot literally in the door. They got a place to stay, they got a base of operations. Wait on the Lord. Just wait on the Lord, amen? He's always faithful. The thing is, when we don't wait and we start doing our own thing, that's when we make messes. So verses 16 through 20, the gospel is taking root in the Macedonian region. There's converts already being made. And true uh, 
to the form and the pattern we've seen before. The gospel is making headway. So what happens? The enemy instantly counterattacks. And the counterattack here happens kind of subtly, and it comes in the form of a demon-possessed slave girl. Now we're going to take a look at this situation here. But remember, the gospel is doing good. They got their foot in the door. People are being converted. They're being baptized. So that's a good thing. What happens when the gospel advances? The enemy counterattacks. And I'm going to keep pointing this out over and over again because it's a pattern we need to understand. Satan never allows the gospel to bear fruit without pushing back against it. And so we need to learn to expect it, to watch for it, and to learn to repel it. Amen? You know, when, you know the, when you're not ready for a counterattack, when you're not ready for it, that's when you really get overtaken. They say in boxing, the punch that knocks you out is the one you don't see coming. If you can see it coming, you can deflect it, you can slip it, you can catch some of it into your gloves, but the one that you don't see coming, wow, that's the one you wake up and, you, and, and they say, you know, how many fingers I'm holding up? And you say, Thursday. <laughs> because it knocks you out. So that's why we need to the counterattack's going to come. You're growing in the Lord. You're producing fruit. You're making headway into your family. You're seeing God change your neighbor's life. It's coming. Pushback is coming. Learn to repel it. Uh, These guys are getting seasoned here, and so this counterattack is a little bit subtle, and it comes in the form of this, you know, this slave girl. She's demon-possessed, and they're using her. Um, her handlers were using her to make money because she could tell fortunes. She was a fortune teller. So she had this demonic spirit that had like a a counterfeit prophetic gift and she's making money for them. Now, verse 17 says the girl followed them around. I don't understand what the enemy's end game here was, but this is an interesting situation. It says she followed after Paul and us, and she kept crying out saying, these men are bond servants of the most high God who proclaim to you the way of salvation. She continued doing this for many days. Okay, so let's just stop there for a second. Th- these men are bond servants of the most high God, check, who are proclaiming to you the way of salvation, check. I find it really interesting that everything the devil just said was absolutely true. And I don't get why he would do that. But there again, he's not too smart, is he? Because if he was smart, he wouldn't have crucified Jesus so he could raise again on the third day, amen, and break the power of sin and take the keys of death, hell, and the grave. So while the enemy is smarter than us, and you don't want to go toe-to-toe with the devil without Jesus, greater is he who's in us than he who's in the world. So this devil, for some reason, wants to walk around, you know, the missionary team here and tell the truth about them. What a thing to say about them. Yeah, they're servants of the Most High God. Yeah, they're proclaiming the way of salvation. And I find it interesting that, you know, for once the devil tells the truth. Uh, Finally, in verse 18, Paul gets so irritated with her. Now, you could picture how this would be irritating, uh, having somebody, you know, who's not part of your group follow you around yelling as if they were a walking billboard for you. Uh, And and Paul just, (laughs) you know, he has enough of it. Now, there again, I'm, I'm, I'm not sure here. We can't prove this, but I think, you know, Paul gets irritated. So maybe Paul's flesh got up here a little bit. He gets irritated with her. He gets irritated with the devil, and he turns around and casts the devil out of her just to shut her up. Can I say something? I know I can because I got the mic. So 
sometimes you have to be careful what you do to make people just shut up. I'm not saying this was right, or I'm not saying it was wrong, but he, he's irritated, and he casts the enemy out of her, and it starts off a whole firestorm of trouble from that moment out. Maybe if they would have just ignored her. Maybe if they were, I don't know, I, I don't know, but it, it almost seems like, you know, it, it's the thing that kicks off the trouble here. And she really wasn't saying anything that wasn't true. So maybe we're seeing a little bit of Paul's flesh again. Whatever the reason is uh, that he turns around to cast her out, he couldn't take it anymore. There again, maybe some self-control and strategy uh, would serve him better. Uh, but he does cast her out, and it starts this interesting chain of events. In verse 19, the devil comes out of her. Praise God, she's delivered. Everybody's excited. She's excited. Paul's excited. Did you see the two of them? They're like, you know, are you having a good time? Oh, this is great. Clothed in your right mind, wonderful. Everyone's excited except her handlers. They just ruined the financial profitability of this girl. They cast the devil out of her, and now she couldn't tell fortunes anymore. Now she was worthless to them, and she was just a mouth to feed. So they're upset. They were just using her for ill-gotten gains. So, uh, you know, this is a good thing, but it starts this interesting chain of events here. Now, the handlers are upset, and it's amazing. You could preach, you could teach, you could deliver people, you can cast devils out, but when you mess with people's money, boy, do they get mad. Because the Bible says what? You can either serve God or mammon. And these guys weren't serving God, so they were serving money. So once their money dried up, now all of a sudden they're really mad at these guys here. And they drag them before the magistrates. And, you know, it, it starts pretty much a riot. And it's, it's just so interesting how this all started out. Paul's irritated. He casts the devil out. Praise God for the deliverance. But it starts a big mess. Now, the charges that they come up with here in verse 21, it says that they are proclaiming customs which is not lawful for us to accept or to observe being Romans. So there again, the charges that they always bring against them are always so thin and they're always so empty. And really what they're saying here is not true, but they come up with these men are throwing our city into confusion, they said. Really, it was better when you had demon-possessed people telling fortunes on the street? Hello? Isn't it amazing how the world, they, 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 everything that's good, they're against. Everything that's holy, they're against. If it's wicked, if it's evil, if it's filthy, if it's immoral, oh, they're for it. <laughs> and so, there again, false charges, thin charges, things that aren't true. They're not throwing your city into confusion. They're bringing deliverance to your city that's lost and headed to hell. They're not proclaiming customs that violate Roman law. In fact, it's interesting. They're, they're, they're going to find out that these two guys are Romans and that if anyone knew Roman cultures and customs, it was these two because they're Roman citizens. Uh, it's just an interesting charge that's brought against them. It has no, it doesn't hold water. Verse 22 and 23 gets pretty ugly for the missionary team. They're beat. They're whipped. I mean, think about that, having your clothes ripped off in public, being publicly flogged, how humiliating, how painful. Most of us can't even picture, a, a, you know, a Roman flogging. We know what Jesus went through to some degree. But, I mean, these, these whips would rip your back open. I don't know how many lashes they took. It was only lawful to give, I think, a Roman citizen 39 lashes. You couldn't give them any more. Usually that would just about kill a person. 
So they're, they're being beat up, they're, they're stripped, and then they're thrown into jail. And, you know, they have to endure all this. What was their crime? They delivered a girl who was demon-possessed. They preached the gospel, and they baptized people, and they, you know, they were doing the work of the kingdom of God, and it clashed with the kingdom of this world. Now, they had to endure injustice and abuse and mistreatment at the hands of wicked men, and that's a very unsettling thing. I think if any of us were stripped and whipped and thrown in prison, most of us would be pretty irate about it. You know, it it might be enough to shut some of us up forever. I'm never doing that again. Thanks, God. Thanks a lot. I'm out trying to do your work, and that's how you protect me? That's the thanks I get? Come on, let's take, a, let's take a few steps in the flesh and see how this walks out. These guys don't have that response, yet the injustice of what they endure is really, is, is really an amazing thing. Verse 24, they're, they're thrown in jail. The jailer is charged with locking them up, and that's a super serious duty. It would cost him his life if he failed to keep them in the prison. So he puts them in the inner prison, it says, and he binds them hand and feet. Whether they were in stocks or in shackles, they were in the deepest part of the prison. They were in the supermax area. You can guarantee they were chained hand and foot. It was dirty. It was wet. There were probably rats. It was not the Motel 6. It was not the best Western. It was the worst place to be. And think about that. All the dirt, all the filth, all the vermin in there, and your backs are open and ripped up and bloody. The, the, the disease you could get. Tom's just trying to make it real tonight. And this is where they are. So, you know, verse 25, they respond to God in, a, in, a, in this completely unjust, uncomfortable situation. They respond to God in the strangest way. They are praying out loud and they are worshiping God in song and they're singing hymns and they're just praising God. I mean, and the, the, the last part of the verse here in verse 25 is the coolest thing. And it's what makes it especially awesome. Yeah, these guys had faith. Yeah, they had a good heart. No, they were not mad at God. They are worshiping God. And it says here, and the prisoners were listening to them. This is so cool. I want you to get this picture. When you and I as Christians go through hardship, everybody is listening to how we're going to respond. Because maybe these people on the outside looking in are going, well, you know what, look what happened to them. Let's see how they respond. Let's see how their faith is now. When you and I go through hardship, all of heaven, all of earth, all of hell is waiting to see how we'll respond. And these guys respond in a way that just blows everybody's mind. They were unjustly accused, they were mistreated, they were beat and bloody, and they're chained up, and they're singing hymns and spiritual songs and worshiping God, and the prisoners were listening. Now, verse 26 through 33 shows us that because of, you know, how they respond to their situation, there's a moment of divine intervention that produces a whole chain of miracles. And it's so cool how, how you know, they're worshiping God. They don't think they're going to get out. They don't know what's going to happen. They realize they, they're living this stuff. We get to read the beginning and the end, and, you know, they don't know what's going to happen. Are they going to be killed? Are they going to be left in there forever? Verse 26, and suddenly, say suddenly, and suddenly there came a great earthquake. So the foundations of the prison were shaken. And immediately, say immediately. immediately. 
all the doors were open and everyone's chains were unfastened. When the jailer awoke and saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cried out with a loud voice saying, do not harm yourself for we are all here. And he called for lights and rushed in trembling with fear. He fell down before Paul and Silas. And after he brought them out, he said, sirs, what must I do to be saved? I got to tell you, this is one of my favorite passages of scripture. I could read this all day long and just think about it. In fact, I was thinking about this a lot this week. Uh, This little suddenly moment that they have where God shows up immediately, touches off a a chain of seven miracles, and I want to go over them with you. You know, they hang on to their faith and they praise God and they didn't start complaining, but they were just believing in the goodness of God. And suddenly God shows up for them and miracles start to happen. The first miracle is this, an earthquake comes and shakes the prison doors open. I mean, that's miracle number one. I don't know what kind of prison it was. I don't know how well built it was, but you know, prison doors don't generally shake open. But God was involved in this, and so the doors shake open. That's miracle number one. Miracle number two, the earthquake shakes the chains right off of everybody. You know, there again, I don't know if you've ever seen shackles, if you've ever seen chains and how they put them on. You know, if you've ever seen stocks, but these things are not comfortable. Sometimes they would put the the shackles on your hands, and they would pound a hot rivet through it so that it, it it would not come off unless you had tools to heat it up and beat that off of you. Yet God shows up, shakes the place, and the chains fall off. Well, isn't that a picture of what God does when he shows up, amen? God shows up and removes the chains from people who are held fast and seemingly have no way to escape. Miracle number two. Miracle number three, the jailer sees an empty prison and he's ready to kill himself, but none of the prisoners flee. I don't know many prisoners, but I would think all of them would flee right? None of them flee. Not, you know, most of us are here. Not half of us are here. We are all here. So that's miracle number three. Miracle number four, Paul stops the jailer from killing himself. Come on, let's be honest. How many of us would have just looked at him and said, all right, here goes. He's going to get rid of himself. This is going to be one less problem for us. Most of us would be like, oh, the jailer who chained us up and beat us, he's about to, no, but Paul is concerned for this guy. He's concerned for him as a human being. He sees him not as an afflictor or a persecutor, but as a soul that needs to be saved. Come on, that's a miracle. You know, probably in all the history of jailbreaks, this is the only time this has ever happened. (laughs) Don't hurt yourself. In fact, the, the jailer is so overwhelmed by that that he, he's shaking. So the jailer, miracle number five, the jailer is so moved by all this, he falls down before him. Do you see how the roles are reversed when God shows up? The persecutors become, you know, the roles are reversed. He's on his knees trembling. Why? Because he knows these guys, these guys are the real deal. And God is, has shown up in this place. And this whole chain of event is miraculous. He says, what must I do to be saved? Oh, man, I love that. 
as a preacher, as an evangelist, as a, as a man of God, that is what you want to hear people say. Not, you know, after service, well, I'd like to argue with you about theology. I'd like to leave and you can argue by yourself. You know, I mean, when someone comes, what must I do to be saved? Oh, it's beautiful. I love it. I, I can hear it all day long. And he falls to his knees and that, that's a miracle right there. Miracle number six, the jailer heals, hears the gospel. He receives it. He and his whole household get saved. Household salvation. Boom. God is moving. That's a miracle. Miracle number seven, the jailer invites the prisoners in feeds them a meal, and cleans their wounds. If you don't think that's a miracle, I'm going to take you home and beat you. And they'll leave you outside and cold and not feed you. Think about it. The roles are reversed here. This is a miracle. The jailer, come on in. Here, my, my wife is going to, you know, we're going to feed you here. Let me, let me see. Oh, you're all messed up back there. Well, let me put some salve on it. Let me, let's clean your wounds. Wow. Do you see how God suddenly, immediately reverses everything? You know, you and I would look at this and I look at this and all of us would love to experience miracles like this. In fact, if you would not like to experience miracles like this, just, just get out. No, I'm just kidding. If you, I mean, all of us would like to experience miracles like this. People coming up to us, what, what, what can I do to be saved? Or, you know, God's miraculous showing up for us in our moment of need. And God still does miracles, amen? But there are a few components that these guys did in their situation that provoked God to intervene with them. And here's a couple of them. Number one, these guys were serving the purpose of the kingdom of God at their own risk. They were out there doing exploits for God, and it was dangerous. So they stepped up for God, and God stepped up for them. You see, if we're always safe, if we're always in the shadows, if we're always letting somebody else take the lead, don't expect to walk in miracles. But if you and I will step up and step out for the kingdom of God, God will step up for us, and he will support us when we're doing kingdom purposes. Number two, they were being led by the Holy Spirit, and they were in the center of God's will. This again is that point. You and I got to hear the spirit of God. We can't be just doing things or doing our own things or doing spiritual things. We got to be doing God's thing. When we're doing God's thing, God supports it. God funds it. God writes the checks. God brings the right people. God keeps us safe. Come on. So here, here are two components. You know, we're doing kingdom things that involve great risk. We're in the center of God's will. We're here in the Holy Spirit. Number three, they weren't mad at God and they weren't complaining. Now it's quiet, but really we should all have just went, ah, because I don't know how many miracles and how many blessings and how many God moments we complain away. But God doesn't show up for complainers. God doesn't show up for people who are half in and half out. Like a reed blown by the wind, the double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. Let him expect nothing from God. You see, we complain away our blessings. We complain away our miracles. Now it's quiet. When you feel like complaining, I want you to do something. Go into your junk drawer, get a tube of crazy glue, And it would be better for us to glue our lips shut for a few hours 
than to complain. Of course, I'm not being serious, but hopefully I'm making a point that, you know, when we feel like complaining, boy, we should take a deep breath because I know I have, and I believe all of us have complained away some of our blessings. These guys didn't complain. They weren't mad at God. Instead, number four, they chose to worship in the midst of their hardship. And this is what we have to understand. When we're going through it, I know we don't feel like it. I know it doesn't even make sense. I know that, you know, we might have to fake it till we make it, but we should worship God. We should thank God. We should find something to be grateful for, amen? You know, it's been said so many times before, if you wake up in the morning and your name is not in the obituary, you got something to be thankful for, amen? And so these guys didn't complain away their blessing. They, they chose to worship in their hardship. They were taking great risks for the kingdom of God, and they were walking in the perfect will of God, and he showed up for them. And just like that, suddenly, immediately, seven miracles, an awesome chain of events. The next day in verse 35 through 36, after all these miracles, the powers that be, you know, maybe a a good night's sleep will let them think, you know, what we did yesterday was not a good thing. Maybe the Holy Spirit was just needling them all night long. So what? They want to just dismiss these guys from jail and have them just go away quickly. Okay, now, uh, there again, uh, this might have been an opportunity for Paul You know, most of us would think, hey, if they're letting me go, I'm gone, right? A lot of us would have just put it in B for boogie and slipped out of there. But in verse 37, you know, Paul shows us he's got a little bit of chutzpah. (laughs) And he cites the fact that the the magistrate's actions were outrageous. You notice he's like, no, I'm not going away. He, he, you know, he gets a little backbone here. And I want to look at this. One issue in particular that he brings up really puts the fear of God into them because he informs them that they just beat and incarcerated two Roman citizens without a trial. Now, if you know anything about Roman law and Roman citizenship in that day and age, in that region, that was a big no-no. In fact, that was a death penalty offense right there. What these guys had just done to two innocent men could have and should have cost them their lives. Because you don't beat a Roman citizen and you don't jail a Roman citizen without a trial. And Paul knew how to play the cards that were in his hand from time to time. You say, well, what made him play them sometimes and sometimes not? The Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit tells us when. There's a time to be silent. There's a time to take our lumps. And there's a time to speak up. And I want to say something. Paul knew how to play the cards that were in his hand and this time he makes these guys sweat a little bit and he's like I'm not leaving till you come and you know you escort us out yourselves now unless otherwise instructed by the Holy Spirit believers shouldn't be too quick to give up their God-given human rights and civil liberties amen There's nowhere in scripture it says that, oh, you know, because we're Christians, we have to let everybody abuse us and take away our civil rights and our civil liberties, and we should just be a doormat for everybody. (laughs) It doesn't say that in here at all. You know, we are called to, to, to submit to the just laws of just government, but when people are wicked and immoral and they impose ungodly laws upon us, it doesn't say in scripture that we should just roll over and take it. 
there's a time to stand and there's a time to fight and there's a time to draw a line in the sand. Think about all the preachers who stood behind pulpits scared in Nazi Germany that wouldn't speak against Hitler while he incinerated six million Jews and think that they had to stand before God and give an account that they were, they were behind those pulpits and they didn't speak against it. Why? Oh, it's the government. Oh, it's the law. Wow. Christians need some backbone. We need to stand up. Paul shows a little backbone here. Shows that he's not intimidated by man. Shows that he's not willing to just roll over. These guys were wrong, and he's going to make them sweat a little bit. Verse 38 and 39, the guilty magistrates grovel a little bit. They come and they beg him, oh, please, just leave. <laughs> you know, that's all they want. Just go away. And it was, a, it was a tense moment, and he does make them sweat a little bit. And they escort them out of the prison, but he doesn't just go away. Verse 40 says he goes to Lydia's house and he strengthens the believers there. And then when he's good and ready, he leaves on his own terms. We're seeing many sides of Paul here. And I want you to see there's time to stand up and there's a time where you're silent. Jesus stood before his, you know, his accusers and he was silent. If anybody could have spoke up, the one who could call legions of angels down. So, Understand, how do I know when I should speak up and when I should be silent? Learn to hear the Holy Spirit. Let's bow our heads tonight. Father, I just thank you tonight that you prove to us you're greater than any adversary we can face, than every devil we can face, than any uh, immoral uh, system of man's government, of any situation that we can face. God, you're bigger and you're above it. God, help us to have faith in our big God and not make excuses and say we can't or we shouldn't or it's not right or it's the law. Father, I pray for all our brothers and sisters in countries where they're, they have to go underground to worship you. They're not allowed to have Bibles. They, they're not allowed to share the gospel. Give them boldness. And God, we should have 10 times more boldness in the land of the free, in the home of the brave, yet we've been silent. Help us, Lord God, fill our mouths with truth and boldness to proclaim the truth so that the church will be what the church was meant to be, light in the darkness. Father, I ask it in Jesus' name, amen. I give him praise tonight. Bless you, Lord. Praise God. I hope you're enjoying the book of Acts. Uh, we're going to take a quick offering tonight. Just come.